Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to new episodes of the Reimagined Schools podcast for the 2023-24 school year. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Goins, and I'm excited to bring you new conversations this school year with many of the top authors, speakers, and thought leaders in P-12 education. Once again, Rocket PD will serve as the official sponsor of the Reimagined Schools podcast. So if you're looking for the very best in professional development for educators, look no further than rocketpd.com. Also thrilled to announce my continued partnership with the Education Podcast Network, in which I am a proud member. If you're looking for other education podcasts, you certainly want to visit our website at edupodcastnetwork.com. And finally, folks, as we bring in guests each week to have conversations about how to reimagine schools, I encourage you to look at the show notes with each episode. That's where I'll have links uh, for our guests through their social media, websites. Uh, You might even find the occasional link to uh, go to the bookstore and buy one of their books as we're going to have a lot of prominent authors and speakers uh, scheduled for this this school year. So with that, folks, very excited to get ready to rock and roll for this new school year. As always, hit me up if you have questions or comments, or if you just want to talk more about uh, what guests you want to see in the future on the Reimagined Schools podcast, because we're about to rock and roll. The Reimagined Schools podcast begins right now. I'm Katie Atwell, co-host of the EduGals podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello again, everyone. We are back at it again with another great episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Excited to bring in one of the world's top thought leaders on education issues. I always love talking to Will Richardson. How are you, Will? I'm doing really well, Greg. Thanks for having me. I have been a big, big fan of yours for a long time. I had you on the podcast previously, and you provide such great insight with your Big Questions Institute, which we'll get into uh, as we continue the conversation. But I want to start with a proud dad moment, some big news. (laughs) Your son, Tucker, who had a wonderful college basketball career um, at Colgate, is now a professional athlete just signing to play professional basketball in Finland. So congratulations and tell me about that experience. Well, thanks very much. And I have to say, as much as uh, he's he's kind of stealing the headlines right now, too, my daughter has been great as well. And, And what's been really interesting is having two children who have taken very different paths from what the normal kind of you know, um, going into adulthood path looks like. My daughter is in Mexico City. She's a biohacking health coach. She doesn't have a college degree. Um, She decided that just wasn't for her. And so that was a very interesting path to watch as she uh, found her way and uh, made all sorts of connections and learned what she needed to learn. And then my son, who um, just has had this passion all his life. And to see someone who has been able to turn that into a career um, is pretty amazing, you know, and and as a learner, too, because he's constantly learning um, about himself, about his body, about what he can do. And so it's been great. I mean, I've been just privileged to uh, somehow have gotten two kids who are really powerful learners and who who want to make their own way in the world. And it's been it's been just really fun to be a part of. 
you know, when I saw that he was going to Finland to play basketball, the first thought in my mind was Will Richardson in Finland. Not only will he not only will he be in gyms across that country, but probably be in a few schools. So I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Maybe we'll have another Finland documentary uh, created and produced by Will Richardson. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough only seeing him maybe uh, once or twice uh, over the next eight months. So. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely a possibility. We'll see if uh, if there are any any uh, schools or any people in Finland listening, and they want um, you know they want me <laughs> to stop by on one of those trips. Um, please just let me know. That would be I great. think we can send a quick email to to Passy Salberg and say, "Hey, Will <laughs> is ready to show up. You just tell him where to go and what to do, and and he'll yeah. be there." But I'm looking forward to that. That'd be a great well, family experience. So you guys, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to following that journey. Thanks so. You know, one of the things I want to talk about, one of the things you and I have in common is we're both big Cub fans. And <laughs> lo and behold, the Cubs are in the playoff hunt. Look at this. Uh, What's fortunately, happened? Oh my yeah, goodness. fortunately, the NL Central is, is a pretty weak division, <laughs> the but there, end, there's a chance. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was, I was doing a little research for our conversation, and I've really been interested lately in this idea of, um, you know, how sports intertwines leadership and all the – the team building and all the wonderful things that you get out of being on the athletic field or on the playing field. I ran across a picture of you. I think it was 1966 at Wrigley field with Ernie Banks. And it just blew my mind as a Cub fan. So can you tell me about that experience and why Ernie Banks has always been one of your idols? Well, probably one of the most memorable days of my life. And it was a long, long time ago now. And I still have a very vivid memory of that. My my dad had a friend who knew Jack Brickhouse, who was the announcer for the Cubs at the time. And uh, he got us down on the field. So I met not just Ernie Banks, but I met Ron Santo, Glenn Beckert, Don Kessinger, Billy Williams, Leo DeRocher. Um, it was it was amazing. And, um, you know, uh, I would I had been a lifelong Cubs fan, if lifelong, like eight years old or whatever. But, you know, uh, it, they were my heroes. And Ernie Banks, for whatever reason, was just my hero when I was a little kid. Um, I just I just thought he was, um, you know, he was it. And and so to beat him, I can't believe you found that picture. But if you look at my face in that picture, you will see that I am in the presence of, you know, of gods, you know, in that moment. I'm like, holy cow, he's got his arm around me and he's taking his picture with me. And yeah, it was great. Um, it was one of those memories uh, that I'll have forever. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And uh, I don't have a story nearly as cool as that. But uh, whenever I'm in Chicago, and I used to be there a lot when I was an Illinois superintendent and principal at different conferences and stuff. Yeah. But I, whenever I'm in Chicago, I love to go to Harry Carey's. Just the food's great, first of all, but I just love the atmosphere. <laughs> and the last time I was in there, it's been a while, maybe not the last time, but one of the times I was in there, I was talking to the bartender and we were talking about the Cubs or whatever the case may be. And he said, you just missed Ernie Banks. And oh, I, wow. I said, what are you talking about? He said he lives on Michigan Avenue. He comes here every day for lunch. And a lot of days you can just, you know, pull up a seat next to him, ask him questions, talk. Nicest guy in the world. But I missed Ernie Banks by like 15 minutes and I'll never forget it. My other just my other big cub story is I actually caught a foul ball off of Billy Williams at Wrigley. Um, oh, wow. which is, is like my other kind of memory of that place. But um yeah, Ernie Banks, um, he was the man, and uh, um, I'm 
really happy to see the Cubs are back in the in the mix this year. I'm sure he'd be happy. Yeah, you talked about your dad a little bit, and uh, I'm sure he took you to Wrigley a lot, and that was a memorable time for you guys. I also saw in doing a little bit of my Cub research with you that he wasn't able to see the 2016 World Series. So, um, you know, for a Cub fan like myself, I, I still get goosebumps thinking about uh, the World Series and, and all those kind of things. But what were your thoughts as uh, Anthony Rizzo caught that final out from Chris Bryant? Yeah, well, I mean, I couldn't believe it. Um, and that game was such a tease, right? I mean, it was like, uh, you know, back and forth and then the rain delay and then that whole thing. I mean, it, it was uh, it was like I I was on on the edge for <laughs> I felt like days. But, yeah, when it finally happened, I, I, I literally couldn't believe it. I mean, uh, you know, it's, and I, I wrote about that, too. You know, my dad had been a Cubs fan all his life, went 83 years without ever seeing them win a, a world championship. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty emotional moment, actually. And I know that's kind of silly when you think about it, you know, when you get tied up into sports like that. But it really was. It was something that uh, it was I was very, very happy, obviously. And I'm, I was thinking of him quite a bit at that moment. You know, it's it's interesting. I do a fair bit of speaking at different conferences locally and at the statewide level. Nothing at your scale, but there for a while, shortly after the Cubs had won the World Series, I was doing a lot of uh, Joe Madden type presentations. I always felt like Joe Madden would have been the perfect school administrator or perfect school leader because he always had that think outside the box mentality. I mean, this was a manager that was one of the first that didn't bat the pitcher ninth. Uh, you know, he was a guy that intentionally walked a batter with the bases loaded. You know, he did a lot of quirky things that were very, um, you know, outside the box. And how can you correlate, you know, that type of managerial style to what we need school leaders to be in schools today? Well, I think, you know, you can look at baseball just as a metaphor, I think, as it evolves, right? I mean, it's been forced to change the way that it it kind of plays the game. Um, you have, you know, the pitch clock now you have, um, you know, all these other rules that they put into place to try to make the game a little bit more uh, appetizing, let's say, than it was in the past, because we all know baseball was kind of slow compared to a lot of the other sports that are out there. So, I mean, just from an innovation standpoint, being willing to take a look at what you've done for a long, long time and ask questions about it and say, is this still relevant? Is this still working? Is this still something that we want to continue into the future? I think it's a really important thing that all leaders, school leaders especially, need to be doing on a regular basis, right? It's not just a one-off where you have the, well, let's ask the questions day, but it's it's constantly saying, what do we really care about right now? What is most important in the world right now? And how are our systems and our structures and our practices keeping up with that? Or how are they limiting our kids ability to really thrive in the world that they're going to be living in and so yeah i think all leaders have to be willing to face the realities of the moment which in many ways are difficult but then uh, they also have to be willing then to think differently about the direction that they take moving forward it's not just about getting better at what you currently do it really is trying to be different and and think how different might impact what you do and, you know, another thing I've always admired about your work, kind of making a segue away from baseball, more specifically into school leadership and to reimagine schools per se. But um, one of the things I've always admired about your work is you really help school leaders and all educators find purpose in what we're doing each and every day with, with, with a lot of the big questions that that you present. And, you know, right now we're going through 
uh, and I think it's a good thing, this big push with portrait of a graduate and schools are really having these these conversations about what does it mean to be a graduate at my school? What skills do you do they need before they can go on and be successful? Is that a roadmap that you think is is a positive thing or what should the roadmap be for schools as they really try to redefine what school success looks like? So, you know, I think it's a great question because portrait of a graduate has become extremely popular in schools and there's uh, it's hard to find schools that don't have something similar in terms of what they're trying to, quote unquote, produce in their in their students once they leave. My concern is, though, is that those portraits are still situated more in a picture of today and the past than they are situated in a real understanding or an attempt to understand what kids are going to need in the future. Um, and I, I know people say, well, you know, we're, we're this is what I, I, I don't know that we have done enough work to really understand what futures we want and what futures we need. And so that's where a lot of my work is going right now. Um, I actually just posted something to LinkedIn this morning about doing spending time coming up with imagining irresistible futures. That's kind of what I'm calling them, right? These these futures that we want to live in, that we long for, that we really want to fight for. And um, I think the time frame for most schools when they think about the future is five years, you know, seven years, the whatever the length of the strategic plan is. I think we have to go further into the future. I think we really have to begin to try to create aspirational images or aspirational stories of who we want to be 10, 20, 30 years down the road, and then backwards design from there, you know, and say, well, if this is who we want to be, then what do our kids need to be in that moment? And how then do we begin to bring those practices and those ideas into, you know, our lived experience of school? So I don't think it's a bad thing, obviously, to to really clarify what your output is when it comes to your students or what your what your goals for them are. But I worry a little bit that we're still not looking expansively enough at the world and the changes that are happening right now um, to to uh, make sure those those outcomes are are the relevant ones that kids need in their futures. And, you know, I, I read your blog on a regular basis, and you could find that at bigquestions.institute with a lot of great information there. You've uh, written a lot lately about AI, and that's kind of the big the big topic in education now. And I'm really surprised um, how defensive people in, edu in the education world are about this whole idea of, of AI and chat GPT and, oh, my gosh, the robots are taking over. And what's this going to look like? It's going to kill creativity in the classroom. And I think we just need to slow down a little bit and try to figure out how to make that a useful learning tool. And uh, I, I don't know where all the panic is coming from. Well, I, I, I know where the, I think I know where the panic is coming from. And, and that is because it's going to force us to think about our roles in the classroom. It's going to force us to think about what we do. Um, and and to be willing to put all of our practice and our theory and everything on the table and unpack it. And that's not to say that all of it's going to go away or that all of it's bad, but certainly there's very little of what we do in schools that isn't implicated in some way by artificial intelligence and by technologies and by change in the world, right? So it's not just AI, but it's all of it. You know, it's climate, it's 
um, social injustice. It's all of those things that schools are grappling with right now that are requiring us to interrogate our practice. And that makes us uneasy. You know, we don't like to do that. We like to think, yeah, we got this, you know, and this is this is uh, what we've been doing and it's been quote unquote successful. And so we can just keep keep doing it. But um, yeah, I, and AI, I think the first, the initial reaction for most schools was ban it, you know, or not, I won't say most schools, from a lot of schools, right, was to ban it. But I do think that just in the intervening eight months or so, um, 10 months, that a lot of schools have just come to the conclusion that they just can't do that, that that's just not reasonable. <laughs> it's not realistic. And so I think they're at least trying to, um, you know, kind of have a disposition that says, all right, let's let's see how we can integrate this into our practice. Let's see what the opportunities might be here. And to be honest, I think there are a lot of opportunities. I think it's going to force us to change a lot of what we do. And that, I think, is a good thing, to be honest with you. Um, if, you know, if, if we're making assignments or asking kids to do things that they can go to an AI, generative AI program and just produce, maybe we shouldn't be asking them to do those things. Maybe we should be rethinking, you know, the types of, of, uh, of requests that we make of them. But by the, on the other hand, I've, I've kind of played with the idea of turning AI into like augmented imagination almost, right? And in, in using that as AI, because, and especially I think that's true if you look at mid-journey, if you look at some of the, um, you know, you look at some of the art generative um, programs that are out there. Those are incredibly imaginative. Those are like imagination machines, if you will, right? I don't think ChatGPT actually is that imaginative. I think it can be helpful in terms of helping kids flesh out ideas and that type of thing. But you go, you go to some of the other things that are happening right now. And again, I think the art programs are especially relevant. Um, it's amazing, you know, how it makes you think differently and see differently and, and really consider different ways of looking at the world. So we're going to have to embrace this. Schools are. Um, and uh, I think that's not a bad thing, but it's going to be a struggle because as with everything else that's change oriented in schools, it's just it's it scares us. And um, and it's really hard when it changes who you are as a person in the context of what you do. That's where the big fear is. And and that's always, you know, and I've, I've, I cite this book all the time, but Robert Evans wrote a book about 20 years ago called The Human Side of School Change. And it really, it's not about the technological change. It's about what it means for us as teachers, as people, as leaders, how it changes us in our role in schools. That's where the real heavy lift is for a lot of people. Yeah, and I appreciate the book recommendation. I'll, I'll jump out and see if I can find that. And kind of speaking of books, one of the things that I'm, I'm rereading now, I, I read it when it first came out, but John Maxwell came out with a book called Leader Shift. And this idea that as, as things change around us so quickly with technology being a big um, you know, player in that process, we have to really be able to learn unlearn and relearn you know what we're doing in our school especially from a from a classroom perspective as a teacher or even a principal or school administrator so this this leadership idea is something i'm talking a lot about here in kentucky with principals and teachers but that's difficult to do because there's really not a playbook to you know have that crystal ball and see what's going to happen in the future but i think the most important thing is to ask those big questions that you advocate for each and every day 
Yeah. And I, I mean, the reality of it is, is that um, the correct answer, quote unquote, is harder and harder to come by. And when you're in a moment of such fast, complex change, as we're in right now, um, answers are, you know, they're like hard to come by, right? Because things are shifting. So, and that is the premise of a lot of our work. So instead of looking for the answer, you have to, I think, look for the better question and um, to make sure that the questions that you're asking are relevant, timely, um, get to the root of the of the challenge or the opportunity, whatever. And that that is the path forward. Uh, another phrase that we're using a lot, which I really like, is that leaders, teachers, students, all of us are, have, are going to have to learn our way through the world. We're not going to be able to like sit in a classroom, get a degree, whatever else, college, whatever else, and say, okay, I'm ready. I'm good. You know, I'm going to be, no, <laughs> that's not the way this works, you know? Um, and, and it's always been like that, but now, especially again, when you have technologies that are changing so quickly, when you have environments that are changing so quickly, when you have, you know, just a lot of social and political and all that other stuff that's happening right now, you have to be able to ask really good questions right now and, and questions that, that get to the root of what the, uh, what the conversations and what the changes are about. And um, that um, you can't look up the answer anymore. Um, you have to learn your way through it. And, and that's a disposition and a skill and a literacy and all that stuff that is a shift away from the way that schools for centuries have, have kind of gone about the, their, their work, um, where we've said, you know, we know what you need, we're going to teach it to you, and then we're going to send you out into the world and you'll be okay, right? I love that there, I use a quote by Margaret Mead, who was the, uh, you know, pretty famous anthropologist back in the 60s and 70s who quote, who, she came up with the term the generation gap, right? And she has a quote where she talks about this idea, even back in the 70s, that at some point, we're going to be in a what she called a prefigurative culture. And that is one where um, basically we're moving away from the time when adults said, look, I've been young, I know what it takes, this is what you need to know. And, you know, go for it, go, go on in your life to where a moment where kids say, you have never been young in the world that I am young in. <laughs> and therefore, you can't really tell me what I need to know in order to navigate the, the world that I'm in. And that's really true right now. Um, there's this uh, there's this challenge to uh, what people are calling intergenerational transmission of knowledge, because in many ways, the adults kind of look at the world and go, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with all this. You know, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what the right move is here. So it's we're going to have to learn our way through the world. And I think we do that through inquiry. And, and that's very well said and a great point. And, and as I think about you know, intergenerational type issues within the the confines of the school walls. You know, we there's a lot of great resources, a lot of great books out there, podcasts on Gen Z and how they need something different than previous generations of students. And, and uh, you know, I've kind of fallen along that same way of thinking to some degree, but is it just trying to find a way to better connect with that with that demographic, or what do you think this generation of kids need that we're not providing them? Well, I think agency, number one. Um, I, I think that they're living in a world where they pretty much have access to the sum of human knowledge on the devices that they carry around with them. 
they can learn at any time anything they need to learn uh, with anyone they can find to learn it with, you know, and we've been saying this now for 15 years, right, since the advent of the internet, and now especially with social media. Um, and so they, in their real lives, have all sorts of opportunities to learn on their own. But when they go to school, we're not preparing them for that. We're preparing them to still sit and wait to be told what they need to learn, how they need to learn it, how they're going to be assessed on it, all of that, right? And so there's this dissonance, and it's there's always been a dissonance between the way we learn in the real world and the way we, way we learn in school. And in many ways, if we're honest about it, schools create barriers to the ways that humans learn best, right? But now, especially when we're in a moment where all of our curriculum is online, all of our, you know, there's nothing that we have in schools that kids can't learn somewhere else in terms of content, in terms of knowledge. So what we need to do is, is help them understand how to use their inherent agency to learn in the real world, right? And that means we have to, again, let them pursue questions that are meaningful to them. Let them choose their paths through the curriculum as much as possible. Blow up the curriculum as much as possible and be willing to say, yeah, this thing that I'm trying to teach you now is probably not going to be relevant to your to your life. And so maybe we just move on from that. So anyway, I think that that's the one shift. We need to give kids more opportunities to pursue learning on their own terms with us, because there's still a lot that we can provide them in terms of, again, developing the skills, the dispositions, the, the kinds of um, ways of acting in the world that are going to be really important for them to, to be, uh, quote unquote, successful or to thrive or whatever else. But we're still so focused on the, the stuff and the what rather than the how that uh, I think in many cases, kids get out into the real world um, or, or they are in the real world and they're becoming increasingly dissatisfied with the school experience and they're just kind of doing it to get through it, you know? Um, yeah. And I, so it's a tough place. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, and this is probably uh, going to be a difficult question to answer. So I will apologize ahead of time here. But, you know, if, if I'm a school district superintendent and I'm familiar with your work, you know, I've watched, I've listened to some podcast episodes. I've watched your YouTube, uh, TED Talks. You know, I, I'm all in with uh, with Big Questions Institute. And, and, and I say, well, I want you to come in as a consultant and we want you to help create better schools for kids. What does that conversation look like? And where do you even begin if the goal is to find greater purpose in what we do on a regular basis? Well, I think the first thing is we define what better means. So what do you mean by better? I mean, what, what does that look like? And again, going back to what I said previously, I think if our emphasis is on better, then we're probably missing the different where we need to be spending more of our time, right? So um, for me, uh, I think, and you know, Homa, my partner, Homa Tavangar and I, we do this work with schools. We go in and basically say, Okay, look, um, if you recognize that what you're doing feels a bit irrelevant or doesn't feel like it is as purposeful for this moment, then let's just take some time to figure out, well, who are we? Who really are we? And, and what, do we, what do we really want to be? Who do we want to be? And what do we want to stand for, right? And so that's where those big questions come in those nine big questions or the, now the, the 11 big questions that we're working on. But 
you know, like what is sacred? How do you define learning? Where is the power in your school? Um, are you okay? Um, how are you doing in terms of, you know, mental, physical, spiritual health? And, and just to, to go into and really unpack those questions and get very clear on where you're at in this moment. Because I think a lot of times people try, schools, school leaders, try to move forward with ambitious plans without acknowledging the starting point, like where they're at. They're just assuming, oh, yeah, we're ready. And I can tell you, <laughs> in probably 90% of schools we work with who want to make big changes, what we find is you're not ready. You're not ready. You're assuming a whole bunch of stuff that is just not true. And so let's work through that stuff. Let's make sure we have shared language. Let's make sure, like what the portrait of a graduate is trying to accomplish, I think, is that let's make sure we have a shared definition of success in this school community. Let's just make sure that we all have a shared understanding of what learning is and how it happens and how it's, how we can best serve that process in classrooms, right? And let's, let's make sure we know where the barriers are because of power issues, because of health issues, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that when you can take the time, if you're willing to take the time to just figure out, okay, well, here's where we're at, then it becomes a lot easier, I think, to create a future, an aspirational future, or think about your future in ways that then you can actually live into, right? Um, because you know where you're starting from. You're not assuming that everyone's here when in actuality, everyone's kind of really here. Um, so yeah, that's the way, that's the way. If you're if you're serious about reimagining, about you know, really thinking differently about what you do then you first have to figure out, okay, well, where are you now? How, 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 how ready are you to do that? Well, as always, great conversation. I could talk with you all day. I want to respect <laughs> your time. I know you've got a lot going on, but as we close, just tell our listeners a little bit about, um, you know, why they should visit big questions website and maybe you start reading the blog and, and subscribe and you know, what are they going to find there and how can they be inspired to think differently about schools? Yeah. Well, thanks for the opportunity to do that. I mean, I think that um, we are um, in a little bit of a different space from most other folks who are talking about change in schools. I think we are um, really getting situated into uh, like a, a futures uh, mindset and and really trying to build capacity of people to understand how the world is changing. Um, we are facing truths together because there are a lot of truths that and, re and realities that in many cases we don't acknowledge in schools. And we're trying to do that. We're trying to help schools do that. And a lot of our writing, uh, both the Nine Questions book and the One Foot in the Future book that came out earlier this year, are really about that. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, we're in a bit of a of an environmental and um, social and political challenge at the moment. And we have to understand how we are contributing to that and, and how we can uh, help to mitigate all of that. So anyway, we have a lot of things going on. Uh, we have a lot of free events in our community. BQI.community is where you can become uh, really, um, uh, a member for free of, and engage in a lot of those conversations. And, and then um, big questions that Institute is our site where 
you can get a lot of information on the type of work we do in schools and look at our latest offerings and, and all that good stuff. So, and we are launching here in probably uh, October 1st, a new service called BQI Futures, which is a subscription service for schools so that they can build their capacities to, again, um, understand what's coming at them, how they can react, how they can um, make their school communities a little bit more ready for change and uh, and yeah to to again in an ongoing way build capacity for for kind of facing the opportunities and challenges of the future so lots going on always happy to have visitors and uh, yeah Greg thanks so much again for the time really appreciate it well thanks for catching up and uh, certainly safe travels as you travel abroad to uh, watch Tucker hoop it up <laughs> Finland here we come right <laughs> thank you sir all right cheers So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. As always, a big thank you to everyone out there listening, sharing out episodes, and of course, creating your own podcast PD groups right there in your own school. I'm amazed how many of my former students and educators, not only here in Kentucky, but throughout the country, have listened to these podcasts, they've formed small groups together, and they've had discussion about how to create better schools for kids. And if you have a podcast group there in your school, and you want me to jump into a Zoom meeting or maybe even attend in person to sit down and have a roundtable discussion with educators in your building, I would love to do that. So hit me up. You can find me on social media at Dr. Greg Goins. You can always email me at drgreggoins at gmail.com. And again, if you have questions about uh, leadership coaching or some of the consulting work that I'm currently doing with the Modern Classrooms Project, our Rocket PD, Hit me up on social media or shoot me that email. I would love to talk with you and help create better schools for kids right there in your school and community. So with that, folks, that's a wrap on another episode. Always do what you can to create better schools for kids.